Well, every blessing to you all and welcome back to my open air pulpits. I had wanted to come up uh, maybe two weeks ago and return and God willing conclude my almost eight year study. Can you believe looking at uh, the book of Genesis? But due to the beast from the east uh, battering the UK over the past two weeks or so. In fact, this month, the month of March has been the coldest for uh, 12 years. It was bitterly freezing, a lot of snow and ice and strong winds. And had I attempted to come up to the open air pulpits, it would have been probably a suicide mission. Let me just say this also, if I may, that we have written about the uh, catastrophe, the crisis, which is now uh, engulfing Britain, the return of Russia onto the world stage uh, concerning the poisoning of two Russian turned British citizens in uh, Salisbury a couple of weeks ago and from my uh, standpoint or from where I am standing as I observe what is going on and yet of course we don't know much about what is going on uh, when I say we I mean the British public we are very much in the dark but from what I can see I would suggest this that this is the most serious uh, situation concerning Britain since 1962 going back to the Cuban Missile Crisis and if ever you were told to pray for your nation this would be a good time because the powers that be are ordained of God and that goes both ways not only should you be praying for the Prime Minister if you are a Brit you should also be praying for the Russian Premier if you are a saved Russian not always easy I know and I would say the same to our Chinese brethren and North Korean brethren to pray for their leaders as well. But we've written about this for March, uh, March's newsletter. So if you want to know our thoughts about a new Cold War lead, uh, leading up to Gog and Magog, Battle of Armageddon, Book of Revelation, uh, drop us an email and I will add you to our mail list. And God willing, at the end of this month, we will issue this month's newsletter. So for around eight years, can you believe, I have been working my way very slowly through uh, Genesis. Over the last eight years, I've been working on numerous other projects. And I've been meaning to uh, get back and finish Genesis. In fact, I remember getting an email or a private mail from a brother on Facebook slightly teasing me about my Genesis study and he said uh, what happened James did you run out of steam or something <laughs> and the answer was no uh, I was working on other projects and I kept meaning to come back and finish Genesis and therefore by the grace of God I want to aim to conclude Genesis this morning Genesis 47 Genesis 47 look at verse 7 please and Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh incredible absolutely incredible Jacob had been promised many things by Almighty God and here at long last it's all coming through it's all coming good and on top of that Jacob being uh, being Israel is face to face with Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world a friend of Joseph contrast that to another Pharaoh found over in Exodus uh, 4 5 6 7 8 
9 and 10, in fact going right up till uh, Exodus chapter 15 and incidentally please join me this coming Sunday when I aim to conclude Exodus chapter 6. But here Jacob not only has met Pharaoh, a Jew meeting a Gentile, but he's blessed him. Remarkable. 8. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So what was common back in Genesis, like living to a hundred, or living to, say, 600 years of age, or someone like Methuselah, over 900 years of age, is going to be repeated during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll speak about that a little later on. 10. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before him. So not only has Jacob, being Israel, representing the nation of Israel, and here in type, second advent, not only has Jacob met uh, Pharaoh and perhaps exchanged a handshake, maybe, but on top of that, he has blessed him, which back in biblical times would normally mean a laying on of hands. Paul, t uh, Paul speaks about when you ordain an elder to lay hands on such a person, and that is their physical and uh, visible anointing. 11. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, number one, go and get your father. You've been estranged for far too many years. Number two, go and get your brethren, clear the air with them, which of course he would do. And number three, all of my land is your land. And yet for today, the Jews are very much in need of Gentile support. If the truth were known, the uh, Jews in Israel today are too close to the Gentile nations, a nation such as America, Britain and Germany. If such nations uh, didn't support Israel, uh, Israel would really struggle. I'm not going to suggest that she would go under, but she would seriously struggle. The Lord God has always expected uh, Israel to lean on him, not on the Gentiles. And yet saying that, those nations that have historically stood with Israel have been greatly blessed. 15. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. So Joseph, once again, is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you came into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, you couldn't die in his presence. He was a personification of life. On top of that, if you came to him in faith, he would heal you. He would provide for you. Only once, back in Matthew, the last few verses, I think it is, from Matthew chapter 12, going into Matthew chapter 13, it speaks about those in Capernaum which uh, didn't believe on him, refused to come to him to be healed, and therefore, as a result of their unbelief, number one, he was grieved. 
Number two, he would rebuke them for their unbelief. But number three, because they didn't have faith in their Messiah to be healed, they missed out on a blessing. But here, Joseph, a type of Jesus at the second advent, is interceding. On top of that, money is failing. There's going to be a crash of the pound. If you listen to a lot of this Brexit hysteria, which has been going on since Britain voted uh, back in 2016 to leave the European Union, if you get uh, too caught up in all of this uh, anti-British uh, rhetoric coming from Europe and also from within, uh, you would think, wouldn't you, that Britain is on the uh, brink of catastrophe, and yet Britain has been through uh, more difficult situations than Brexit, and I I'm going to suggest this, that Britain will come through this, Britain will survive the Brexit talks, Britain will uh, come through it stronger than before, more independent than ever before. Concerning Britain and Russia, that's still got some way to run, some way to go. But for the sake of the King James Bible, for the sake of Bible-believing Christians that still live in the UK, there aren't many of us, no more than a few thousand, uh, for our sake, but more importantly, for the sake of the Bible, as I understand it, Almighty God will probably preserve Britain right up until the rapture of the church. That isn't to say that he wouldn't or won't allow certain cities uh, to suffer. The same could be true in Israel, apart from Jerusalem being uh, protected during the uh, Battle of Armageddon. It's not... Uh, unfair to suggest, or it's not incorrect to suggest, that parts of Israel may be obliterated uh, during the tribulation and at the end of the millennium when Gog and Magog, like I say, are raised up by the devil to attack Israel. But as far as Britain is concerned, for those of us which are saved, we shouldn't uh, overly worry about these things. We shouldn't be naive, we shouldn't uh, bury our heads in the sand, but at the same time we shouldn't panic. The Word of God says we have the perfect peace. We have a perfect peace which passes all understanding. And on top of that, we have the mind of Christ. But here, you're reading about a man called Joseph, living many years before the Lord Jesus Christ. He types, he's a picture of Jesus Christ over 150 times. There are 150 types, uh, meaning uh, similarities between Joseph and Jesus. And you could only miss that if you were blind and unsaved. 16. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle. If money fail, like I will give you collateral. Back in 2008, uh, there was a world recession, and governments around the world were struggling to deal with such a recession. And back in 2008, the British Chancellor of the Exchequer, a guy called uh, Alistair Darling, had, I think, two hours to move, and he had two hours to protect Britain. And in America, his uh, counterpart, uh, whose name escapes me, he was Obama's uh, Treasury Secretary, those two guys, and it may have been the same in other parts of the world, I don't know, but in Britain and America, those financial experts, or so-called anyway, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Darling and his American counterpart, had to buy out the British banks. For the first time in the history of the UK, 
In fact, it was even worse than the 1929-1930 uh, depression in America for the first time in over 70 years. The British Chancellor of the Exchequer had to buy the banks, had to buy the banks in Britain, not all but most, and for the next 10 years, in fact right up until now, I think the British government still own uh, a couple of banks, they still have uh, shares in a few banks, but they did so because there was a great fear that the banks were going to go under this worldwide uh, depression, recession, uh, had the potential to uh, become a domino effect and the British Chancellor, like I say, stepped in, took over the banks and stopped Britain and the rest of Europe falling into an absolute mess. In America, the American uh, Treasury, uh, a guy called Timothy somebody, I forget his surname, please excuse me, uh, went down to Wall Street, called all of the banks, all of the uh, money men in New York, <coughs> and also those from Washington, and he said, listen, I will now take control of everything, and he did. I am the new sheriff in town, and he was, and for the next four or five years, uh, end of Obama's administration, leading into Trump's current administration, the American government also had to purchase the banks <clears throat> and stop America sliding into catastrophe. There was a great fear at the time, and it wasn't all hysteria either. There were British planes taken off from uh, bases around the UK, heading off to Cyprus with lots of money to uh, take care of British soldiers in Cyprus and British uh, expats in Cyprus. And here the same kind of thing is taking place, a uh, complete collapse of a nation a complete collapse of a currency. 17. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, and for the flocks, and for the cattle of the herds, and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for their cattle for that year. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me will never hunger. And here Joseph, acting in type as Jesus Christ at the second advent is taking care of the needs of the Gentiles. If you are a saved sinner today, the chances are you are a Gentile and you are now following, you have believed, you are in love, if you will, with a Jewish uh, saviour, the God-man Christ Jesus. And here Joseph has really come of age and due to the wisdom that Jehovah had given him, he is steadying the ship, much like Darling would do back in 08. 18. And that year, excuse me, when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live, and not die, that the land be not desolate. So things are going from bad to worse. <clears throat> they know 
that they can't survive without Joseph. John's Gospel says concerning Jesus Christ, without me you can do nothing. And here they are desperate, they are desperate for uh, physical uh, food, basic uh, comforts, and yet Jesus Christ would say, labour not for the meat uh, which perishes, uh, but for everlasting life. 20. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because a famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. This is what you call a land purchase. Not just like a land grab, like what is going on in South Africa at the moment. A lot of white farmers are being rounded up, hunted down and executed by black militants uh, using the cover of the ANC, the African National Congress. If you were to uh, see that from the other way around, there'd be an absolute outcry. If you had white people rounding up black people in South Africa and doing the same, there'd be an absolute outcry. And that's one of the reasons why the apartheid era was broken uh, back in the 1980s, early 1990s. A lot of uh, white people came hand to hand or came uh, together, joined forces with black people to deal with the apartheid system in South Africa, much like what took place in America. Back in the 1960s, you had Republicans working with uh, LBJ, uh, President uh, Johnson, and as a result, they pushed a lot of laws through uh, the American Congress, and, and they broke the uh, segregation era. And yet I'm surprised to say this, that I am seeing a lot of people online, a lot of angry black people, a lot of angry black males and females, under 30, very young, calling for a return to segregation, calling for safe zones in universities and colleges, a new hatred of the white man, this bitterness towards the white man. Yet, if you go to China or Israel or countries in the Middle East and Africa and try and get such people to uh, allow different cultures in, they won't wear it. They will not wear it. In fact, if you go to Israel, if you try and uh, immigrate to Israel, you can't become a Jewish uh, citizen. If you are a Christian, you have to announce your belief in Jesus to become a Jew. And yet, if a Jew comes to Britain, they don't care what you believe in. If a Jew goes to America, they don't care what you believe in. Or if a Jew wants to go to China, that might be slightly uh, awkward. But the point is this, there is a reoccurrence of hatred, anger, hostility. And of course, you know that George Soros, an unsaved Jewish man, is behind this reoccurrence of the angry left and it's causing divisions. It's causing people to fight and attack and in some cases even kill other people. Let me say this as well, that as far as I'm concerned, the quickest way to deal with this hatred coming from certain black groups to white groups or vice versa, or hatred from uh, Muslims to Jews or vice versa, is to come to Jesus Christ, is to believe on him. This isn't about skin, this is about sin. This is about the saviour. And here, again, you've got Joseph, like I say, buying up the land 
and in some ways this has been suggested by some to picture communism I'm not sure I want to go that far I know that Russia and China and other communist countries like North Korea uh, would commandeer much land would confiscate much land that much is true but here you got a famine you got a catastrophe far worse uh, than what took place in 1929 or 2008 and therefore Joseph knows that he needs to intervene which if you like is a picture of tribulation saints those that get saved in the tribulation and those that go through the tribulation 21 and as for the people he moved them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt even to the other end thereof that took place back in the 1930s there was a great famine I think it was in Wales and it was really bad it was biting and uh, thousands of Welsh men left Wales and went into England for work and were able to send money back to their families in Wales you have to go where the work is obviously if you are trying to get a job if you can't get a job if you're living in a part of the UK for example where you can't get a job move south or move away from where you currently are living put yourself out uh, 22 only the land of the priests sport he not for the priests had a portion assigned them a Pharaoh and had eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them wherefore they sold not their lands if you speak to those that are in organized religion like the one man full-time uh, paid pastor what he will normally say to you concerning number one his uh, so-called right to be the one man uh, full-time paid pastor which you can't find incidentally in either testament but what he will say in defense of his position is number one that this text allows him to do that and number two when it comes to his church not paying tax like enjoying a charitable status he will cite this particular verse as justification and yet this verse is not to do with saved people this verse is to do with unsaved people pharaoh was a pagan sure he was a good pagan if that makes sense he was kind to joseph and co but his priests were polytheists his uh, his priests worshipped false gods so what would you expect you would expect pharaoh to be kind to his priests not to tax them to give them a part of the land uh, to serve the people but ultimately to serve his own purpose if you think of world war ii between the late uh, 1920s and the late 1930s going into 40 41 or thereabouts uh, Joseph Stalin had uh, been uh, persecuting priests of the Orthodox faith of course in fact he was very superstitious Stalin a bit like Putin is and over a period of time he was uh, persecuting his priests like I say putting millions into the gulags far more than uh, Hitler ever did but when the war broke out when uh, operation uh, Barbarossa was launched Germany sent over a million men to march into Moscow and they thought it'd be a walk in the park and of course you know it wasn't a walk in the park the weather turned and the worst winter since Napoleon 
uh, tried the same thing, came upon them. Uh, before that took place, or around that time of Russia on the brink of catastrophe, Stalin had a great idea. And Stalin's idea was to release the priests from jail. We need the priests to be released from jail to rally the, uh, rally the people. Rally the people behind Russia. Great propaganda. And those priests have been in the gulags for many years. Had to uh, get shaved. Had to get dressed. Had to pull themselves together and get back into their churches. What, uh, what was left of their churches if uh, Beria or Molotov hadn't uh, closed or infiltrated uh, such churches, the chances are that they were being used as DOS houses for the poor people uh, living in uh, Moscow, uh, Leningrad and uh, St. Petersburg back in the 1940s. And those priests were brought out of jail to do a service to the motherland. In fact, I saw one report this week uh, concerning Putin's re-election of Orthodox priests and nuns in the pockets of Putin and uh, participating, shall we say, in vote rigging. And you say to yourself, but there should be a separation of church and state, surely. There's never been a separation of church and state. Go back to the last election in America. You had uh, a guy called Dolan the most powerful Catholic priest in America at the uh, uh, that famous dinner in New York. Uh, I forget the guy's name, Catholic uh, politician, and they meet every uh, four years to celebrate uh, his memory. Al somebody, you may come to me in a moment. And Dolan is uh, sitting at the table with Hillary on one side and Donald on the other. And you say the Catholic Church, don't call the shots. Uh, shots. You're kidding yourself. You are in denial. Look at 25. And they said, thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord. And we will be Pharaoh's servants. That term, let us find grace in thy sight, is a reoccurring theme throughout Genesis. It starts, I think, with Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. For today we receive grace through Jesus Christ. The Word of God says how the law came uh, by Moses, uh, but grace came through Jesus Christ. Thou hast saved our lives in a physical sense, but Jesus Christ will save your life, or lives in a spiritual sense. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord. And we will be Pharaoh's servants. So you could suggest that Pharaoh is a type of God the Father. And when you get saved, you are a servant to God the Father, obviously. Uh, and again, Joseph is here uh, spoken of as a type of Jesus Christ. But what you've ultimately got going on here is a breakdown in society. And therefore, as a result, the state has to step in. Whether you like it or not, you may be an anarchist, but the truth is when things go pear-shaped, when a catastrophe, a catastrophe takes place, like in 08, uh, you want the government to step in. You want the government to do what they can to steady the ship. And I'll say this also, if I wasn't a Christian, if I wasn't a Bible-believing Christian, I would be calling for revolution right now. 
in my country. We are under great attack, not just from Russia, but from within. We are, lo we are losing uh, freedom of speech. We are having people put in jail for criticizing Islam and other ills and uh, issues which they have every right to do so. We are in great need of a revolution, but because I am a Christian and I know that we are living in the last days, I am told to pray for my governments, I am told to keep my head down, and I'm also told to keep on going, to get the word of God out. But I know for some people they're not saved and they are in almost desperation of what is going on, not just concerning the return of the Cold War, but also an internal Cold War. 26. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. So Pharaoh, obviously, like Stalin, is going to protect his priests. He's going to uh, exclude them from having to pay tax. He will give them lands uh, to worship, to serve him. Go back to King James. Go back to Queen Elizabeth. Go back to the Stuarts or the Tudors. If you were a Catholic living during those days, if you were a wealthy Catholic, living during those days, your life was pretty good actually. It was uh, allowed, it was unofficially permitted uh, to still be a Catholic. You just couldn't uh, proselytize. And if you got caught up with someone like Guy Fawkes, for example, wanting to assassinate the British monarch and uh, destroy Parliament, like he attempted to do, and other Jesuit uh, colleagues, then you would expect, obviously, to be uh, arrested, interrogated, and executed. The same would take place in and on the Catholic continent. But James I, Elizabeth, going right back to Henry VIII, would allow people like uh, the Duke of uh, Norfolk, a very wealthy Catholic, in fact, even to this day, the Duke of Norfolk, uh, many generations later, of course, you understand, is still a Catholic. Catholics could worship during those times. They could enjoy Mass during those times. They just weren't allowed to, as I say, proselytize. And yet you go to Catholic France, or if you go to Catholic Spain, or if you went to Catholic Portugal during the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries, and tried to proselytize, uh, you, you would have been arrested, interrogated, and executed. So, it was very much a sign of the times. But James and Elizabeth were fair to Catholics. They allowed them to retain their estates. Yes, some priests and monks lost their lands under Henry VIII. And the, and the same took place over in, in uh, Catholic Europe uh, concerning anybody that would question the powers that be. But here, Joseph, in the uh, office of Prime Minister, if you will, working under the authority of Pharaoh, is buying up the land. And he will exonerate the priests from 
paying any kind of tax. And again, uh, the one man paid minister, or the one man paid uh, pastoress, will use uh, these verses for justification for what they do. Strange place to go, isn't it? To justify what you are doing. When this is, uh, strictly speaking, concerning unsaved pagans. 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 140 and 7 years. 147 years. He's made a good old age. Most people in the UK, I think the average lifespan in the UK for a man is around 80. And the average lifespan for a woman today is around 91, 92. 100 years ago, the average lifespan of a man was 51. And the average uh, lifespan of a woman was 59. Clearly, uh, the food was better back then, as was the climate. 29. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. Don't bury me, Joseph, in Egypt. Hosea says, out of Egypt have I called my son. I want to be buried with my fathers. And Joseph, being a faithful son, latter part of verse 30, agrees to do so. 31, and he said, swear unto me. And he swore unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Promise me, Joseph, that you will honour my dying wish. Where possible, dying wishes uh, should be uh, honoured. When uh, Ruth Graham was up in, up in years, she wanted to be buried uh, a few miles away, I believe, from her or her family plot in North Carolina. She had a, uh, a, uh, an apartment of some kind a few miles outside of the Graham uh, mansion, the Graham compound. She spent a lot of time up there painting and enjoying, uh, the, uh, uh, enjoying nature, Mother Nature, as they call it. And she didn't want to be buried uh, with Billy in uh, the actual grounds of their compound. And she made that very clear. Don't bury me there. I want to be buried elsewhere and when she died her wishes were not honoured and she was buried with Billy and here the promise has been uh, honoured or it will be honoured and now uh, Jacob being Israel is preparing to die 48 1 and it came to pass after these things the one told Joseph behold thy father is sick and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said unto me, Behold, 
I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people. I will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. So the land, the land is a gift for an everlasting possession. And if you think of 1948, the Jews go back into the land. If you think of 2018, the American embassy is scheduled to be moved from Tel Aviv uh, to Jerusalem. And other countries are also following the American lead. But here you've got Jacob reiterating promises uh, to Joseph. Uh, verse 5. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born of thee, were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. In other words, they will also enjoy the privilege of being a Jew. To be a Jew is a great privilege, obviously. I was told many years ago by a rabbi that the Jews had this belief, and they may be right, that they can, try, they can trace their lineage right back to uh, Abraham. That may be true, but without Jesus, it doesn't really mean anything, does it? I mean, the Catholics like to argue that their uh, line of popes can go right back to Peter, which is actually incorrect. But even if that was the case, you know, even if that were the case, big deal. Without Jesus Christ, without the new birth, it doesn't really mean anything. But here, uh, Jacob being Israel, of course, Israel being Jacob, is wanting to, as I say, reiterate the promise from Jehovah. And he wants to make it clear to Joseph that his seed and subsequent seed are going to belong to Israel. And that's why Jews are nearly always uh, patriotic, and rightly so. In fact, I saw a report last week that in France, they are going to reintroduce a national service call-up. Uh, every French person, when they turn, I think, 17 or maybe 18, as of this year, this summer, are going to have to do a month's military service. I guess that could be weekends. I don't know how they're going to work that out. But there's a feeling in France at the moment that French people are not as patriotic as they used to be. And now the new French government are wanting to make it mandatory uh, for French boys and girls, teenagers, 17 or 18, I think it is, to do at least a month's service, military service, to have a greater love for their uh, country. Thy issue which thou begattest after them, verse 6, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel, di uh, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem, city of bread, city of David, of course. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? What is thy name? they got two things going on here. When the scripture says, uh, What is your name? Or when it speaks about coming in the name of the king, it's speaking about authority, power. But on top of that, uh, you've got Israel, almost blind, 
and he can't quite make out these two young boys and that's why he says who are these nine and joseph said unto his father they are my sons whom god hath given me in this place and he said bring them i pray thee unto me and i will bless them so joseph quite rightly credits the lord and thanks the lord for giving him his sons he doesn't say uh, mother nature allowed me to receive these sons he wasn't uh, taking the credit for himself technically speaking he married a pagan woman and had children with her which causes an unequal yoke up but nevertheless he knows that god has blessed him with two sons and quite rightly he gives god the credit for such i pray thee unto me and i will bless them so jacob has blessed pharaoh and now he wants to bless ephraim and manasseh look at verse 10. now the eyes of israel were dim for age so that he could not see and he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and embraced them and israel said unto joseph i had not thought to see thy face and lo god hath showed me also thy seed a bit like simeon from the gospel of luke he was waiting for the lord to reveal the messiah to him and that's just what would happen and simeon went to the temple saw mary and joseph was overwhelmed with emotion he held the lord jesus christ in his hands picturing the uh, future sacrifice of the lamb of god and he would say lord now let thy servant uh, die i've seen uh your messiah the lord's christ and here you can be sure that israel is quite emotional he knows he hasn't got long to live and he wants to thank the lord that he hasn't only been able to see joseph and be reconciled to his son but on top of that he has been able to see the seed of joseph look at verse 12 and joseph brought them out from between his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth respect of course joseph is being deferential to his father he knows that his father is a patriarch he is anticipating a great blessing to come he knows that what god has promised uh abraham isaac and jacob is going to continue on down the line through the entire seed of israel spoken of in the singular and will ultimately come to its climax with christ 13 and joseph took them both ephraim in his right hand toward israel's left hand and manasseh in his left hand toward israel's right hand and brought them near unto him he wants to try and switch the boys around a bit deceptive he knows uh, that his father can't quite make out what is going on he can't quite see the boys and this is also somewhat reminiscent to uh when isaac would say to uh, uh jacob and also esau which one are you and of course you know going back to that incident jacob uh, would lie to his father and say i'm esau and of course he stole the birthright uh, from his brother and here something similar is uh being offered but it won't come through 
it won't come to pass. Look at verse 14. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So Jacob, have I loved Esau, have I hated? And here Israel knows exactly what he is doing and his hands are going to go on to Ephraim's head. Uh, 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life, long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. That's a wonderful blessing. That's a wonderful blessing for a Jew to receive. The greatest blessing uh, that we have as children of God is that all of our past, present and future sins have been forgiven by the precious blood of the Lamb. But here this is really, strictly speaking, concerning the land, the 12 tribes. And also this will feed into the 144,000 uh, book of Revelation. Uh, 17. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's hand. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. Jesus Christ is God's right-hand man. And here Joseph is number one, not completely understanding what is going on. Number two is lacking faith. And number three isn't completely ignorant as to the importance of this soon-to-be blessing. But at the same time, he wants to take control. And of course, you can't take control of something such as this. Going back to the Lord's permissive will, uh, sovereign decree, uh, statements made in scripture concerning uh, the birth of the Messiah, where he will be born, how he will die, his resurrection, second coming. That's nothing to do with mankind. That is to do with Almighty God. And that type of a decree can never be reversed. 19. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And it absolutely was. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you, and bring you again into the land, excuse me, unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. So Joseph thought he could reverse the blessing, which again is impossible. Israel, uh, being Jacob, 
knows exactly what he is doing. He may be old, he may be partially blind, but he's very much being led by the Spirit of God. And therefore, Joseph has to accept his father's will. Again, going back to God the Father sending uh, God the Son, and God the Son making it very clear that he could do nothing without his father, because he was in submission to his father. And sadly, some people take that particular verse and other verses and say that Jesus Christ isn't, wasn't, almighty God, and he is, he was God, he will always be God. And they fail, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, to appreciate the two natures of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. 49.1 And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Like before the return of the Messiah, gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. So now he is uh, summoning his uh, sons to his bedside. He wants to make a prophecy, a very fascinating prophecy. Three. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. That's beautiful. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. A lot of one's uh, millennial inheritance, if you will. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch concerning a concubine incident. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. They would kill an entire people when their sister was uh, raped and uh, stolen away for a future marriage. O my soul, come not thou into their secrets unto their assembly, mine honour, be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Self-will, free will, yes, free will is biblical, don't ever think it's not, and here they are also being castigated for overreacting, wiping out an entire people. Cursed be thou anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So, if you are saved and you live after the flesh, if you are saved and you perpetually live after the flesh, there's every chance that you will lose your millennial inheritance. Eight, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hands shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children, shall bow down before thee absolutely when christ came the first time they uh, put him on a cross they mocked him they made fun of him when he comes a second time they'll be on their faces bowing down to him judah is a lion's whip from the prey my son thou art gone up he stooped down he couches a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up well, of course, Revelation speaks about Jesus Christ being the Lamb. And also, Scripture speaks about him being the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall 
the gathering of the people be ark of the covenant shiloh the ark of the covenant of course was located there shiloh uh during joshua's time joshua of course means jesus joshua is a great type of jesus uh, 11 binding his foal under the vine and his at his coat under the choice vine he washes garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes his eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk revelation again picturing jesus christ at the second advent the uh, types and shadows are too many to uh, highlight, but you can't miss it, can you? Uh, 16. Dan, to judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Antichrist, of course. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, and Adam in the path that biteth the horse heel, so that the rider shall fall backward. Picturing the analogy from Revelation, uh, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And again, Dan, the tribe of Dan has been suggested by many to be the tribe that the Antichrist will come from. Uh, verse 18, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Very similar to what Simeon would say uh, when he met Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke. Look at 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this it is that their father spake unto them and blessed them everyone according to his blessing he blessed them so some of the boys are going to be blessed some of the boys will become powerful boys or powerful nations others won't be so successful due to sin in their camps and this is the reality of what happens when say people go astray and here uh Joseph wants to make it as clear as he can that there are and there will be consequences due to the way some of his sons lived. 29. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre. In the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with a field of Ephraim the Hittite for possession of a burying place, he purchased the land. He paid cash for the land. He didn't confiscate the land. If you listen to some of the lies that are put out by Muslims in the Middle East today, they like to lie about uh, the Jews and the land. But here you are told thousands of years ago that real estate was purchased not commandeered not confiscated 31 and there they buried abraham and sarah his wife there they buried isaac and rebecca his wife and there i buried leah the purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of heth and when jacob had made an end of commanding his sons he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people he goes into abraham's bosom luke 16 19 to 31 and there is a conscious reality of what is going on there is no soul sleep forget what these seventh day adventists like to preach guys like uh, doug bachelor online and uh, walter veith and other uh, guys like that the truth is that he was gathered unto his people 
he went to the ground he wasn't sleeping and this is how people if the truth be known should die a terrible story made the news maybe two weeks ago concerning the triple murder of Peter Ruttman Jr and Peter Ruttman Jr not only killed himself but his two sons as well and I want to speak about the subject of suicide during our next outreach I won't do it this morning that is a terrible terrible situation not only did Ruttman Jr have enough of his own life but on top of that he decided to kill his two sons under the age of uh, 15 and you can't really imagine what was going through his mind but I wonder sometimes if having a faithful having a famous and having a successful father like he did can be a curse I remember uh, reading an interview some years ago that Frank Sinatra Jr gave very strange somewhat cold interview and he spoke about his father in the third person never called his father father never called his father dad he would say well Sinatra said this Sinatra said that and I thought it's like uh, his father was the guy next door very strange interview never very close to his father <coughs> but he was quite honest he said this he said I know that I are, I'm not the greatest singer that's ever lived I've never had a number one hit I've never made a movie etc etc and I thought that was quite an honest statement to make back in 1966 1967 Sinatra Jr was doing a concert somewhere in California and he was obviously on stage with the band singing uh, his songs and he made the mistake I think anyway he looked into the audience and his father was there now back in the 60s his father was still at the top of his game from my perspective the greatest uh, singer of all time and he said to his father come up onto the stage and join me for a duet now I don't think that was rehearsed I don't think it was scripted I think it was something which Junior did on the spot he was called Junior incidentally and people are clapping sort of encouraging father and son to sing together on the stage and I thought to myself this is going to be really awkward to watch because Junior not a bad singer don't get me wrong but he wasn't as good as his father and Sinatra Senior got up and gradually got onto the stage a lot of handshakes and you know um, brief conversations you know before he got his mic given to him the music starts to play and I thought how is this going to go and what his father did was something which I thought was quite clever I'm not sure people in the audience noticed this but as a former singer myself I spotted it what he did was he didn't sing in the middle voice every singer sings in the middle voice he sang in the lower voice now before you do a show before you record uh, a recording and I've been privileged to do uh, concerts in the past before I was saved and make albums before I was saved before I would cut a disc as they say or make a record as you used to call it I would rehearse I would practice in the lower voice I wouldn't sing in the middle voice you save that for the recording you save your best for the concert 
And what Sinatra Sr. did was get up onto the stage. He couldn't really not get up on the stage. His son was almost begging him to get up on the stage. What he didn't want to do was overshadow his son. And therefore, being the professional and also being the loving father, to be fair to him, he sang in the lower voice, not the middle voice. And he allowed his son to hit the high notes, to, you know, have the floor, as it were, to enjoy the audience, so on and so forth. On top of that, the arrangement that he was singing along uh, with the son to wasn't his arrangement, and nor was it in his key. But I thought at the time, that's a good thing. It was, it was professional, it was polite, it was also very loving to do. But had Junior not been his father's son, he would never have had any kind of singing career. Nobody would have cared about him, and he would have just been another third-rate singer. And he lived very much in his father's shadow. In fact, his father said to him before uh, he became a singer, he said, whatever you do, Junior, don't follow me into the music industry. Find your own industry, find your own way of life. Don't follow me. Number one, it's a cutthroat industry. Number two, people will always compare you to me. And number three, he didn't say this, of course, but he probably thought it. You're not as good as me. There's only one Sinatra. And over the years, Junior living in his father's shadow, never quite been as good as his father. He couldn't be, really. I think struggled. So I think sometimes it can be a good thing and sometimes it can be a bad thing. If you have a very well-to-do relative, you are always being compared to such a person. But to watch that uh, performance, I thought it was very professional. I like the way that uh, he didn't overshadow his son and he allowed his, his uh, son at the time, 25, 26, to uh, not be overshadowed by his famous father. But going back to Rutman Jr., I think, I don't know this, but I think uh, perhaps living in the footsteps of Peter Rutman Sr., whether you like him or not, he was a formidable preacher, a great defender of the King James Bible. I just wonder sometimes if that slightly eclipsed Peter Rutman Jr. I don't know. I might be wrong to suggest that, but I just wonder sometimes if he couldn't quite live up to uh, the image of his father, the pressure of being Rutman Jr. But this verse uh, from 33 is how we all want to go, tucked up in bed with our family and friends all around us. We don't want to be uh, uh, doing something as awful as taking our own lives. And it happens very often, far too often in fact, Allow me to say this, and I'll get back to uh, this in a minute. In fact, go to uh, chapter 50, chapter 50, and uh, look at verse 4. Come back to another story in a minute. 50, verse 4, another wind is picking up. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave which I've digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. <coughs> like Moses would seek permission from Jethro to go back into Egypt to inquire uh, on behalf of his people, so Joseph 
deferentially, reverentially, is seeking permission from Pharaoh to bury his father in Canaan. He also doesn't want to offend Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been very kind to the children of Israel. Six, and Pharaoh said, go up and bury thy father according as he made thee swear. He's now uh, consented to the request. And Joseph went up to bury his father and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house and all the elders of the land of Egypt and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and the herds they left in the land of Goshen. <clears throat> so this is a family affair, like it should be. I don't know if Rutman Jr.'s family all attended uh, his funeral. I know his sons were buried last week. I'm just grateful that his father never lived uh, to learn of the awful uh, triple murder which also goes back to the reality that just because somebody is saved, and yes, Rutman Jr. Uh, announced he was saved, he wasn't an unsaved man. Just because somebody is saved doesn't mean that something as awful as that uh, can't happen. Many times people think, well, surely some, something as wicked as that uh, wouldn't be possible, or somebody who was saved or is saved couldn't possibly do something as terrible as that. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. He had his breaking point, and I suggest so do all of us. Nine. And they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. Seven days could be suggested to be seven years, tribulation. And here you've got mourning, not grieving. And yes, there is a difference. Unsaved people will grieve uh, for the loss of their loved ones, whereas saved people will mourn for the loss of their loved ones. And when the, uh, and, uh, when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with a field for possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. A public burial, a public gathering, Again, going back to the fact that this land had been purchased fair and square. It wasn't confiscated. We don't know what uh, Rutman Jr.'s funeral consisted of. I believe he has siblings and maybe uh, relatives uh, of his mother may still be alive. Who knows? But this goes back once again, I think, to having famous parents. Maybe the pressure was too much for him. Maybe he could never live up to his father's expectation of him. We don't know that. I know when uh, uh, Eliza Manelli married a guy called David Guest some years ago, and I read a very sad uh, interview uh, that was given, I think from Liza Manelli, one of uh, uh, Judy Garland's two daughters. In fact, 
I think there's a brother as well, I forget the brother's name, Garland had three children, and what Liza Manelli didn't know is that one of the reasons why David Guest married her was because she was the daughter of Judy Garland. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody proposing to you, not because of who you are, but what you are? You are Judy Garland's daughter. And he wanted to be close to Liza because Liza was a daughter of Judy Garland, or one of the daughters of Judy Garland. And this guy, David Guest, who I think died last year, quite young incidentally, was a huge fan of Judy Garland and he married her simply because she was the daughter or one of the daughters of uh, Judy Garland. What a sad story. So sometimes having a famous uh, parent can be a curse. There have been many people over the years that have struggled to live up to their uh, parents' uh, expectations of them. It could be a politician, it could be a pop star, I don't know, but this is the reality. When a parent becomes famous a good number of times, the children suffer. And here, a burying has taken place. On top of that, uh, from verse uh, 2, Joseph has ordered his father to be embalmed. It's a picture of preservation. Also picturing the second advent. Uh, go down to verse 15, please. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly require us all the evil which we did unto him. They've just buried their father. That would have been pretty difficult for all of them. We are to assume that the sons of Jacob, excluding Benjamin and Joseph, had some affection for their father. It could also be that Rutman Jr. perhaps despised his father, a bit like Sinatra Jr. That can go, you know, that's another way of looking at these sorts of stories, that many times the children can't live up to their parents' expectation. I think it was Paul Newman. He had uh, a son uh, who tried to get into the acting industry, couldn't make it, and he killed himself. A lot of famous uh, parents have wayward, estranged children who hate their parents. Going back to the daughter of uh, Joan Crawford, who wrote a book last year about her mother, and she fell out with her mother, as did uh, Betty Davis's daughter. And uh, money was held back from them, and they became very bitter towards their parents. But here, the brothers of Joseph are having a meeting and they're saying this, Joseph will peradventure, will perhaps hate us and will certainly require it us or the evil which we did unto him. In other words, is it now going to be payback time for us? Which makes me wonder, going back to what I said last time, were they ever really sorry for what they did to him? And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did it under the evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. 
and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Now personally, I can't prove this, but I personally believe that, number one, what they are saying their father said to them is actually incorrect. They are lying to Joseph. They are fearful that he will execute them. He was the most powerful man, or the second most powerful man in uh, Egypt around this time. So had he wanted to, he could so easily have ordered their arrest and execution. And they are citing their late father because they know that Joseph loved his uh, late father. And they are hoping that by citing their late father, all will be good. Joseph wept. John 11 says Jesus wept concerning the unbelief, concerning the, the murmurings when he goes up to the uh, tomb of Lazarus. A lot of uh, unbelief, a lot of wickedness in their hearts and minds. And it grieved the Lord Jesus Christ. And here Joseph is weeping, picturing Jesus again. Uh, 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. We are desperate, Joseph. Please don't kill us. Which could also picture the wrong type of repentance. Like Judas Iscariot, he was sorry that he was caught, if you will, or he was sorry that he had been tricked, perhaps, or he was sorry that it didn't really go the way that he wanted it to go. Contrast that to Peter's repentance. And yes, there are two types of repentance, and many times I think people have the wrong type of repentance, like Judas. 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Well, you aren't uh, Joseph, but Jesus Christ is. The Father and I are one. And it says how they took up stones to cast at him, because thou, being a man, makest thyself to be God. John chapter 10. But as for you, verse 20, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Romans 8.28 takes care of your salvation. Now we don't know. We don't know what was going through the minds or the mind of Rutman Jr. or other people that have hit rock bottom, have been unable to bounce back, have had a breakdown. It could also be that due to being the son of the late, great Rutman Sr., that the devil was seeking to attack his father's legacy and launch a new attack against the King James Bible. A lot of people hate the King James Bible. A lot of people are out to attack the King James Bible. And normally when they attack the King James Bible, they attack Peter Rutman. Yes, he had many flaws. He was a very controversial character. I don't want to stand in this morning and defend his entire legacy. I doubt he would defend my legacy. Not that I have one, of course, but he basically was a King James man. He basically stood for the Word of God. And for that, he has to be saluted and also respected. But of course, the devil won't salute him. The devil won't respect him. So what is the devil going to do? He's going to try and ruin. And what he's tried to do and what he seems to have done is ruin one of Rutman's children, Peter Rutman Jr. But here, the brethren are worried. 
And yes, Romans 8.28, like I say, deals with your salvation, praise the Lord, like eternal salvation, but for the here and now, our day-by-day -day salvation, like our physical salvation, that's a whole different ball game. That's why you are told to resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's why you're told to pick up your cross each and every day. That's why you are told to deny yourself. God helps those who help themselves. It's not scriptural, by the way, but it's a good statement. And it's very true. As for you, 20 again, ye thought evil against me. Absolutely, like Caiaphas and co. putting Christ on the cross. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Joseph would save people from physical death, and Jesus Christ will save people from spiritual and eternal death. 21. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. They didn't really know their brother. This is another aspect. Some of these well-known people that I've mentioned, not all but some, may not have really known their parents. I'm not sure Sinatra Jr. really knew his father. I'm not sure he had a very close relationship with his father. I don't think the brothers of Joseph really knew their brother. I mean, for a long period of time, he's been in Egypt, he's been calling the shots, but even before then, there was an age difference, an age gap. They weren't particularly close. Uh, I think Joseph and Benjamin were the youngest. In fact, they were the youngest. And I think the older brothers were somewhat more independent. There wasn't really that relationship. So they didn't really know Joseph. And they thought wrongly that he would exterminate them. And sometimes Christians think that God will exterminate them. Christians get into sin. They start to do wrong. That's why the, the Word of God says how we have to confess our sins. We have to resist the devil one more time and he will flee from us. And many times Christians get into sticky situations and they feel that the Lord has just abandoned them and he hasn't. He never abandoned Rutman Jr. But Rutman Jr. probably abandoned him. And of course the consequences and the results are awful. But Christians sometimes, and always, but sometimes, have the wrong idea of God. And they see God as this angry God with a big stick, waiting to bash his children over the head whenever they do wrong. And of course he will chastise his children, of course he will. And rightly so, as any good parent does to their child or children. But he doesn't do it all of the time. And he doesn't enjoy doing it. And he doesn't pounce the moments we start to... Uh, go off the rails. So I think, unfortunately, number one, I don't think the brethren of Joseph were all truly sorry, which pictures a mixed multitude, which is the or one of the main themes from Exodus. It also pictures the sad truth that most Jews at the second advent are not going to be saved. They will take the mark of the beast. They will uh, worship uh, the Antichrist and as a result will be sent to hell forever. 
So it is possible to say this, that not all, not, not all of his brothers believed on him, not all of his brothers were truly sorry, and yet saying that, it could be, without contradicting myself, it could be that the brothers here are parts of the 24 elders I found over in uh, Revelation. Uh, 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. Notice that the average age is declining, uh, picturing uh, sin, of course, before the fall. People lived to a good old age before the fall. Uh, now my pages are going all over the place. Uh, before the fall, people were vegetarian. Even the animals were uh, vegetarian. After the fall, it all changes. People become uh, meat eaters. And slowly but surely, uh, sin starts to spread. And as a result of that, people's life expectancy starts to uh, decrease. But Joseph has made it to 110, still pretty good. 23. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children of Makar, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you, like Emmanuel, and bring you out of this land, unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Yes, he would do first, uh, he would do it firstly through Moses, the book of Exodus, which, as you know, I'm working my way through, but also in type of the second advent. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. He was put in a coffin in Egypt. Coffin in Egypt. Coffin it's one of the last words found in Genesis, Malachi. The last word of Malachi is curse. Cursed coffin. Cursed is everyone that doesn't continue in all things concerning the Lord. Slight paraphrase. Christ has become a curse for us. Galatians chapter 3. You are cursed if you don't keep the law. And yet, at the same time, Christ has become a curse for us. Joseph dies, Jesus dies, being 110 years old, being 33 years of age, and they embalmed him, preserved him, and he was put in a coffin, put in a tomb in Egypt, type of the world, and after three days, God raised him from the dead. So, by the grace of God, just over an hour and 20 minutes, I've been able to work my way through the last few chapters from Genesis. It's still bitterly cold uh, for the month of uh, March, but I wanted to come up here uh, this morning and try and finish this fascinating book concerning Joseph being a type of Jesus, Pharaoh being a type of God the Father, dealing with his brethren, the brethren of Joseph, like Jesus will deal with his brethren at the second advent, the first coming, Jesus Christ's brethren are the apostles. They of course believe on him, they follow him. Uh, it says over in Matthew 28, how some 
of his uh, disciples believe not go back to Genesis again and look at the reaction from Joseph's brethren not all but some is he really gonna be gracious to us we are fearful he may kill us let's speak to him let's send a messenger to intercede on our behalf let's see what his true intentions are they completely uh, misread him like the unbelieving disciples would uh, misread Jesus and yet I love that statement from uh, John chapter 6 where Peter would say to Jesus but you have the words of eternal life we know you are the Messiah the son of the living God and Jesus would say uh, concerning all of the unbelief that was going around and uh, it says also in John 666 6, 6, how many of his disciples walked no more with him and he would say do you want to go with them or do you want to stay with me John 1 also says that you will see angels descending and ascending on the Son of God there's greater things still to come stay with me persevere with me it's going to get tough they will arrest all of you and execute most of you apart from maybe one or two and as you know history affirms that all of the apostles apart from John were martyred for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ Joseph is a good man a great man not a sinless man he would tease he would uh, enjoy putting his brothers through the mill he would enjoy delaying the reunion the reconciliation he wanted them to experience what they put him through he also wanted to mold them he wanted to break them down it could also be that after he weeps and he clears the air and he says look all is good you guys meant it for evil but God meant it for good maybe then maybe then his brothers actually were truly uh, remorseful sorry for their actions and I could suggest that were that they were saved going back to my suggestion that they are the or they are parts of the 24 elders due to the famine taking over the whole world uh, Joseph has to purchase pretty much the whole of Egypt for Pharaoh Pharaoh of course is the president the prime minister head of state <coughs> if you will and he does so because there's no other way to uh, preserve his nation Jesus Christ says that his kingdom isn't yet of this world but one day the kingdoms of this world will become his and of course that takes place at the end of the tribulation uh, 27 mainly speaks about uh, Jacob passing the torch if you will to Joseph two of his sons being blessed in his presence uh, Ephraim taking the lead and also Ephraim in fact Manasseh from the top of my head Manasseh is found in uh, Revelation as part of the 144,000 and also Zechariah speaks about uh, Manasseh from memory I don't seem to have called Ephraim uh, being mentioned for the tribulation or the millennium I might be wrong but as of right now I can't think of those of that particular tribe the tribe of uh, Ephraim having any part to play whereas Manasseh will uh, verse 4 
you think of 1948, the Jews going back into the land, you think of 2018, the American embassy moving <coughs> to Jerusalem in spite of all the uh, arguings and threats so and so forth. The blessing takes place, uh, Jacob is able to bless uh, Ephraim, like I say, verse 14 again from 48, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So Joseph tries to switch it, um, a bit like, a bit like uh, Isaac would experience concerning Jacob, but Jacob is on the ball and he's able to stop uh, Joseph from pulling a fast one, like they say. Uh, 49 uh, deals with the uh, summarizings, uh, the summarizing of uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. Who's going to get what? The consequences of living badly, going back to the uh, awful triple murder, and if Rutman uh, Jr. was saved, he's still saved, never forget that, but based on my understanding of scripture, has almost certainly lost his millennial inheritance. There's always consequences <coughs> when saved, uh, saved people do wrong, and here Reuben has been chastised, uh, 49 Three, Simeon and Levi, or Levi, pronounce it as you will, have had their wings clipped. Of course, Levi, Levi will produce the priests, like Moses and Aaron. Uh, Judah is elevated, <coughs> excuse me, verses 8, 9, uh, 10, 11, and 12. Jesus Christ comes from the tribe of Judah. Uh, Antichrist, never far away, 16. 17 and 18 and then 28 down to 33 the final accounts of how a person should die a person especially a saved person should uh, die in peace put the house in order as it were clear the air with uh, family and friends and die a good decent respectful death who wants to kill themselves who wants to do what Rutman jr did who wants to kill their own children i mean if your life is that bad you need to get some help you need to get counseling you need to pray fast you need to do something serious and quickly it is totally unacceptable to not only kill yourself but also your own children it's very rare thankfully it's very very rare for this type of a suicide to take place but I'm going to suggest this I think it was uh, primarily done due to um, an attack on the Bible a lot of the enemies of the King James Bible have uh, been speaking about this online and using this as a weapon to attack the King James and also some of the teachings of Rutman Senior and it's a great shame and of course the devil loves this type of a thing uh, you've got from also let's see now uh, 50 in the final chapter of Genesis uh, a public mourning not grieving 
but mourning, seven days, Jew and Gentile coming together to pay homage to Jacob, which is somewhat of a remarkable thing to consider. But the final reconciliation, I guess the main uh, thoughts from the last chapter would be the uh, final picture of reconciliation and forgiveness. The brothers, the brothers of Joseph, are wanting to be reassured that all is good and Joseph doesn't have to think about it like uh, Luke 15, the prodigal son, the moment the father sees his son coming. Is that my son? Yes, that's my son. He runs. He runs to his son, cuddles, he clothes him, gives him a ring, prepares a meal, and of course the other son, the self-righteous Pharisee, stays outside, moaning, grumbling, like they would do concerning Jesus Christ. Who do you think he is? We have no king but Caesar. We shine this man to reign over us. <clears throat> and Paul picks us up also in Acts. And he says, listen, if you Jews don't want Jesus, that's fine. We'll go to the Gentiles now. And the Jews are pushed out, dispersed. God gives them another 25 years, 70 AD, and for next, what, 2,000 years or thereabouts, they are wandering, wandering, dispersed. And in 1948, they go back into the land. Joseph forgives his brothers. We hope his brothers also were able to repent the way that Simon Peter would repent, be reconciled to Joseph. I don't want to think, I would hate to think that all of the boys, all of the sons of, uh, all of Jacob's sons were unsaved. I'd like to think that Adam and Eve were saved. And I'd like to think that there was a reconciliation, forgiveness, and this all ended on a good note. The last few verses of uh, chapter 50 concern the dying days of Joseph. And of course he too uh, would be taken out of Egypt uh, when Moses and co would leave and be buried in Canaan. So by the grace of God, uh, it's taken me eight years to finish the entire book of Genesis. When I say the entire book, I mean an overview of Genesis. Uh, as I say, I've been working on other projects over the past eight years. So I appreciate that uh, private mail that I was sent maybe four or five years ago, gently inquiring and gently uh, teasing me about uh, whether or not I had lost uh, steam or what have you concerning uh, the completion of Genesis. But here we are, we are now finished, praise the Lord, March 2018, and as always, please join us every Sunday morning, 11am UK time, uh, we are currently working through Exodus, and it's a great book for me to read, it's probably my second uh, favourite book after Genesis, a lot of great stuff, great stuff concerning Moses and Aaron, and Pharaoh, and the ups and downs and Moses dealing with the flesh we can't say the old man because there is no old man new man in the Old Testament nobody was born again until uh, Acts chapter 2 if you were 
decreed or if you were declared righteous up until Acts chapter 2 it was down to imputation God would impute his righteousness to you without that we are nothing nothing at all and Moses as I say wasn't really or you couldn't say old man new man clash it's just Moses the man learning on the job progressive revelation <coughs> making mistakes and yet in spite of that the Lord sticks with him works with him and Moses the first general of uh, Israel along with his biological brother uh, Aaron will lead two million Jews out of Egypt and once they leave Egypt they take the bones of Joseph with them so I've got maybe 18 months left still to go working through our exodus but for this month's newsletter like I say if you want to get our thoughts about the Salisbury incident and what's going on and how we feel about this new Cold War and other issues which we are thinking about uh, drop us a line and we'll give you our newsletter but Sunday morning 11am please join us as we continue our look through the book of Exodus and by the grace of God I'm done one hour and uh, 37 minutes may the Lord bless you all in Jesus name Amen and Amen